This is Neijing Now, prioritizing well-being. Neijing is the vitality that shields us from disease. Neijing Now, placing and taking responsibility for the health of the individual and the planet. From molecular biology to global ecology, from political socio-economics to psychology and spirituality. Neijing Now, demystifying medicine, empowering host resistance. We can be found on the web at neijingnow.org. N-E-I-J-I-N-G-N-O-W.org. I'm Dr. J. Shri Chander, and I welcome you to another opportunity for exploring Neijing Now. I'm speaking with Ms. Lisandra Vidal over a Skype interview while she's in France and I'm in India. Lisandra is a yoga practitioner and teacher. Lisandra is currently living out of a suitcase, traveling the world. Uh, Lisandra, welcome to Neijing Now. Thank you so much. Well, real honor to be here. I'm looking forward to what we discover through talking. Great. Really, I'm glad that we could do this. I'm wondering how you ended up in Haiti. The story is with French, so that's another fascinating part about that I'm in France now. I went to France when I was a teenager. I came on a student exchange just for three weeks, but I just felt such an amazing sense of home. I loved it, and I loved how I felt when I spoke French. And Haiti, you know, it comes up as a Francophone country. It's, you know, a short flight from the U.S. This was maybe uh-huh. 2009. Da, 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 da. But then the earthquake happened, and I was like, whoa, 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 that's what? At the time I was rebirthing my yoga practice, I lived in an ashram in 2005 for a year, and then I left the ashram and tried to come back to the material world. But by 2010, I was starting to wake back up into, like, how mm-hmm. can I do both? It felt such an either-or. I didn't understand how to embrace having a career and right. being a right. spiritual being. And so my vision was to go and teach yoga to the aid workers. So that's what I ended up doing. I went with an organization called Global Therapy Group that does physical okay. therapy. While I was there, I also met people who owned a yoga studio that were having some challenges oh. running the yoga studio. So I went home, packed up my stuff, and flew back on January 1st, 2013. Wow. It's yeah, courageous. Yeah. It is courageous. And as I tell that story, it reminds me that for a long time, I've lived with a yeah. real sense of freedom. Awesome. I do whatever I want. As long as you know what you want. Right, and there are there's many times when I don't. It's true. It's when I get caught in my head and caught in my thoughts. And when I remember to move out of those lightning speed thoughts about all the future, the past, and all the shoulds, and da, 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 and just drop into my heart and say, what do I need? What do I feel? Even if there's not an answer, it somehow just makes it all okay. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's wisdom. Yeah, so my first kind of stepping out of like the typical storyline, 2004, I went and lived in West Africa for a year. Oh. Yeah, my family was helping to build a school there. That was for sure my first time living outside of a culture that defined me in certain ways. That was really my most odd awakening living with a big family of like 20 Ghanaians without electricity, without running water. Oh, wow. 
yeah, it was intense. I had my own two rooms in a house where whole families had one room. I feel like in that time, I stripped off layers of identity that I had been putting on all of my life. Sure. Then leaving Ghana, I was like this shimmering light that had no covering anymore. And like, what was I to do? Who was I to be? Because、mm-hmm. I had just stripped it all away. And、then somehow that landed me in the yoga ashram, and it was an interesting year. I learned so much. At the same time, I have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. Oh, okay. From when I was 19, I hadn't had an episode for a while. I ended up having a manic episode while I was in the ashram.、Uh-huh. On reflection, it was a really fascinating episode because I was so present for it. I had three or four fully psychotic episodes. In the course of my life,、mm-hmm. this one was—you know—I have the strongest memories from it. Okay. Because I had been meditating every day for six months. I had been doing asana. I had dropped into this super aware place, high vibrational energy, which is what a how I feel about—you know—what is currently called mental illness. I feel like it's more like an energy. I mean, it's chemical. It's emotional. It's a sensitivity. It's a absence of. Capacity to be able to handle things as they are,、sure. meaning to learn a different set of skills than your average person needs to learn、right. to be able to get through. And not everybody who is diagnosed as mentally ill has the capacity to gather those skills. So anyway, I went crazy in the ashram. It was an amazing experience. I'm sorry for the people that I hurt. I mean, I didn't hurt anybody, but it was definitely there were some people freaked out for yeah, sure. Sure, sure. <laughs> you know, sure. but I'm I'm sure they they have lived through it. They have moved on. <laughs> Yeah. If we had done this interview six months ago, I would have never said what I just said.、Mm. Why is that? Ah,、uh, the shame around、oh. you know this idea of mental illness. I haven't in the past talked openly at all about being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I don't identify. You know, I don't say I am bipolar or I have bipolar disorder. I say I was diagnosed with it. Yeah. Because it's true. My experience of the 20 years of having the challenge—I mean, it's a textbook case. Okay. <laughs> like, there's no question. Okay. I mean, all the symptoms that are described、yeah. are like exactly the things that I did. The thing is that to me, it's created magic in my life. Yeah, it was painful and hard to go through it,、mm-hmm. but who I am today, having come through it,、mm-hmm. I will choose it every time. Sweet. That is very yeah, sweet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Can you say more about what you mean by that? You get broken open, and then what emerges? I've been broken open so many times in my life. Like completely had every,、uh, every bit of oh, it'll make me cry, right? Every bit of who and how I am in the world is stripped away, and then somehow finding the courage and the strength to reemerge, and I've done it now, four, five, six times. I'm forty-seven years old. And in 47 years, I've gotten the opportunity to recreate and reinvent myself from being burnt fucking down, you know, like completely. Because you know the the broken neck thing, it's almost like it's a joke, right? It's like I already had this like ridiculously intense journey with, with mental with being bipolar, with mental illness, with learning how to handle it. And I swear this is the truth. I had really just been feeling like you know. I think I've got a handle on this. Like I get it. It's still hard. I still go up a little bit. Like I haven't been psychotic since the ashram, so that's two thousand five. But I recognize the early symptoms, and I can stop it from becoming psychosis. How do you do that?、Hmm. How do you stop it from becoming psychosis? So this therapist in two thousand nine named Heather. 
asked me, do you think that hypomania, which is the stage before mania, which is the stage before psychosis, asked me, do you think that hypomania is a coping mechanism? It was just like a light bulb went off. This thing that I do when I get hypomanic is me responding to anxiety. Hypomania is, you know, increased levels of energy. You call more in, you push more out, you talk more, you move more. And then that slowly just starts snowballing up, 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 up. And then it gets out of control. Right. My answer to being frightened or feeling anxious is to do. Right. Which is actually quite common. Oh, totally, totally. (laughs) Exactly. You're not special. No. (laughs) I mean, you are a very special person, but uh, a lot of people, their answer to that disquietude is distract themselves, find some activity, feel productive. Yeah. But now with, you know, more yoga experience, more being experience, I recognize it as, you know, it's not just the brain chemicals, it's the whole system working together. So eight years of learning, okay, when I'm anxious, what do I do? What am I doing? And just the heart of yoga, right? Becoming an observer and just watching what's happening. And then my favorite question to ask myself is, is this working for me? It's working. Okay. And sometimes things that aren't necessarily good in the long run work in the short term. So then your question initially was, how do I catch myself? Essentially, you know, you're saying that you're stopping the car from rolling down the hill at the beginning. Exactly. That's a really good analogy. That's a perfect. We always use analogies of going up Mm -hmm. because of the, you know, the mood going up. But the car going down the hill is a good one. (laughs) It's a little out of control. So out of control, it gathers speed. And then what happens at the bottom? Oh, you don't. And it is a bottom. People who are diagnosed with bipolar or have such difficulty because there's a point where it feels good. Everybody loves you. You can do everything. You feel confident. You have, you know, exactly. thoughts of grandeur, how wonderful you are, how attractive you are, and <laughs> spending lots of money, and it's just so great. <laughs> you, exactly. And who doesn't want that? But then suddenly you like, you can't control it. You're confused. You see people that you love looking at you funny. I'm an angry person. My nature... It's actually other work that I'm doing, like to safely tap into my anger. But boy, when I'm manic, I'll fly off the handle. I'll tell anybody anything. Right. These people who love me so much and they're so confused. You can see the pain on their face. Yeah. You don't want that. Nobody wants that, you know. So it is hitting the, crashing a car into the bottom of the hill. Yeah. Back to the question, though, is how do you recognize when a handbrake has slipped and you're starting to roll? So absolutely my daily practice, I mean, there's no question. Interesting that it was initially the yoga practice that kind of set me into my last psychosis, but it also opened up channels of understanding. I feel very connected and believe fully in different planes of existence. And I think that that can happen functionally and well, and that psychosis is not the way to experience different realms. But being psychotic, I basically existed uncomfortably on the other plane. Again, I got away from your question. The beautiful thing about talking with you, Jay-Z, is that every conversation that I have with a good listener and a good question asker, I learn more Mm -hmm. because it's still discovery. And so thank you again for this opportunity. I appreciate you sharing very much. Yeah. And I want to go back to your question. I want to follow the path you were taking for a minute. We'll go back to the question. And it was beautiful. I can still see and feel being crazy in the ashram. And if it weren't for the discomfort it created for the other human beings around me (laughs) and my own discomfort with them, I mean, there's no question that I experienced an elevated sense of consciousness. I felt fully connected. When I sang, the deer would come nearby. 
it was amazing and beautiful, except that I was so awkward and uncomfortable with the people around me. And part of it was the way that we talk in yoga. You know, I mean, they told me, this body is a bag of pus and bones. You are not it. Mm -hmm. I just took the storyline to a different place of understanding. Tell me about the different place of understanding. I wasn't in my body. That psychosis, I don't know if it's true for all, but was that I wasn't relating to the material world in the material way. Okay. I was relating to it as a spiritual, ethereal. When I talked to people, I could just see and feel. They weren't talking from their soul. You know, I would just interrupt them and be like, you're just talking bullshit. I don't have time or inclination to hear this blah, blah, blah that's coming out of your mouth because it's not real. It's not your truth. You're making something up. That's true for so many people all the time. It is, you know, but the thing is we have to be patient with it. When we decided to take bodies, then what we have to do is to embody it. Because well, I don't know why the else I'm here. It's so fucking hard and so painful. Why would I choose this? Oh, my God. And to accept that I'll never know why. Yeah. Beautiful. So, Very beautiful. Thank so, you. So uh, what people call mental illness is actually heightened sensitivity without the equanimity to hold that sensitivity. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. It's kind of like a boat that is sensitive to the wind but doesn't have enough ballast to stay upright. Yeah, that's beautiful. Exactly. I really love your boat analogy again, as much as the car. <laughs> and, and I also, I love that they're both vehicles, like the body is a vehicle. You know, so now I'm in a crash scene at the bottom of the hill. I didn't get hospitalized that time. We did it all outpatient. I get on medication. It was very traumatic. I was embarrassed. But I went into depression, which that's the natural rhythm and I was fat. My weight also moves with my mood and it's very connected. And the medications. I medication. There's so many things. And I got a job at TJI Fridays at the airport. <laughs> Just took my fat, unhappy self to work every day. And it was so great to be a server because I'm a very I'm person person. I love people. It was the first time I did this kind of fake it till you make it. So, and it was the morning shift. So I had to wake up at like 5 a.m. Oh, for a depressed person, that's hard. Ah, oh, that's right. So I didn't jump right into the job. I got super depressed. I like laid in an attic room of my friend's place for like three months eating cereal directly out of the box. <laughs> it's a good friend. I, it was a good friend. It was a night. I was, I was paying him. I was renting a room. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then it just kind of crumbled. I couldn't move. I couldn't go see my friends. While you were in the attic. While I was in the <laughs> attic room, right? <laughs> Maybe something about the attic. <laughs> it was actually very nice. Okay. I like the <laughs> I really like the dramatics of too funny. Okay, so you were you were in the attic and crashed and burned in the attic. Yeah, so I crashed and burned in the attic, and then uh, after the crashing and burning was painful enough that I called my mom. You know, it was like I had to go home to mom. Like then I was living in their basement, and <laughs> the attic to the oh. basement. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, metaphor of your mania and depression is, is just too apt. <laughs> this is totally discovered in this conversation. I've told the story many, many times. But this attic and basement thing is all new. I'm like laughing hysterically. So the basement I couldn't handle. That's where I quickly got the job. That's much sooner. Like other depressions could last a full year. It was my, one of my first times of like catching it sooner. It wasn't travesty before I said, mom, I need help. I have to come home and also and get on medication because that's part of the issue. They won't give me antidepressants. 
yeah. because it's too close to the mania. Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. The way it feels is that then my brain, it's burnt out all of its happy-making juice, and they can't give me help for that. Which is why the mood stabilizers is what they like to use, but the mood yeah. stabilizers kind of diminish the high and bring up the low, and that's sometimes just less than satisfying for a lot of people. Right, exactly. They don't feel that exhilaration of being alive, it just blunts it, you know? Right. For sure that was part of it, but it was on mood stabilizers at the ashram. Okay. I was taking the prescribed amount. There's another way that many people frame mental illness as spiritual crisis. Particularly um, when it happens in the course of spiritual yeah. work. <laughs> right. Exactly, right? There's a significant enough uh, number of people who lose the balance of their mind in the pursuit of the balance of their mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody goes psychotic in the middle of their meditation yeah. course. You need guidance, and it's very easy to just, even if you're a few degrees off, you can end up in a a deeper forest instead of coming out into the light, so... Yeah, totally. So it's not unusual that you would flip out a little bit in the course right. of deep practice. Yeah, exactly. It's something I want to explore a little bit more. Is like, what's the safety valve? Your connection to your breath, right here at the entrance of the nostrils, that's your safety valve to balance, to really mm -hmm. staying aware of the inner and the outer together, mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. here. That's beautiful. Through all experience, if you can stay connected to the breath entering in and out of the nostril, you're safe. Yeah. But it has to be like every single breath, like a lifeline. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, like literally. Literally like in the ocean, and your life depends on keeping your awareness of your breath. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So, you got the job at TGIF. Yeah. Faked it till you made it. Yeah, and then left the spirituality a bit behind. Like, it was scary, the complete unacceptance of it, being told that I was crazy. And so I was like, you're right, I'm crazy, so I'm going to go back to normal. And so then I didn't really do much yoga, but very little meditation. I was at TJ Fridays for maybe six months, and then in the past I had been a corporate software trainer. That was my storyline career, you know, and just went back into the professional career. Normal life, quote-unquote. In normal life, quote-unquote, and then and lost myself again. And that led up to having another hypomanic episode in 2008, but the beautiful thing there, so I caught it sooner. And so the thread of the narrative of, you know, being diagnosed at 19 and now being 47, it's, you know, that I catch it sooner and sooner each time. And so that 2008 time was, you know, like people at work were just kind of like, what's up with this chick? <laughs> you know, why is she sending all these emails? Why is she in, why is she interrupting in meetings all the time? For goodness sake, let someone else talk. You know, this kind of thing. Right. The job ended because the election ended, so I didn't get fired. It okay. was, the job was over. But um, you might have done. Oh, for sure. And they could have kept me on if I had not been a whack job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your original question was about, you know, how do I catch myself? Yes. It was yoga that first took me away. The next time to pick myself back up, I recognized the power of awareness and presence of the yoga practice. So then I re-entered this world of yoga where you have a studio and you chat with people and they're your friends and then you do a little asana and that, you know, and I had been really disgusted and repulsed by that prior before my yoga, you know, you're learning to talk to God, but it really, it worked for me. It really worked. It was so light and good and I learned to feel my body and to breathe in it and it's the McDonald's yoga 
but this conversation and remembering it was a really important gateway and transition for me. I needed that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was beautiful with mindfulness. I mean, it can't, I couldn't personally just go to a yoga class one hour a day, then think that's going to help me manage my mood, <laughs> you know? It's the the deeper process of learning to watch and be with yourself and using that yoga mat for an hour a day, you know, like a little laboratory. Yeah. It also uh, primes the pump. It kind of sets a tone. The analogy I like is if you were to take an hour each morning and sing, you'd have a a song in your head all day long. Mm -hmm. Do a practice in the morning when you meditate or practice lesson in the morning. You're setting a tone for the day, that kind of attention and awareness kind of is the song in the head all day long. I like it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so in that song in my head is what makes me continually checking in. How am I being with other people? How is my energy? Am I talking fast? Am I not able to listen to people finish? Do I have an idea that's so important every three minutes that I have to say it, you know? When that comes up, and that was actually what happened in Haiti and so now we're getting to 2015. Okay. And so I decided I need to leave Haiti and go to a more stable environment and went back to Pennsylvania okay. and uh, stayed with a friend. And then that's when I fell down the stairs and broke my neck. <laughs> I know that we started, you know, with the intention of talking about your recovery and resilience from your spinal injury, but yeah. I'm actually finding that this conversation is also about uh, recovery and resilience. And yeah. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to share it with the public. Yeah, clearly I didn't have to go down this avenue. Uh, having the bipolar diagnosis is what made me able to get through the spinal cord injury. And my life has been burnt down multiple times. I know how to put it back together. Okay, I, you know, I got it's It's very different. Like this time it's a very physical, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here mentally fine and I'm not having mood issues. Also the spinal cord injury coming around is helping me to process and fully understand and experience the story of the bipolar disorder. Like, and I feel more anchored and ballasted than I've ever. That's amazing. Yeah. That's beautiful. So the answer to your question is yes, please. I would love for you you to... It's interesting to me to hear you say that through this process of recovering from your spinal injury, you felt mentally very balanced. Something like a spinal cord injury, especially at the cervical level, might actually throw someone else completely down the tubes. People do go into deep, deep, dark depressions because of injuries, amputations, paralysis, strokes, heart attacks. And there's something to be learned and taught from mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Thank you. Lisandra, uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate how open and vulnerable you have been in this conversation and how strong you've been through your journey. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us. We've learned a lot. Well, thank you so much, Jay-Z, for creating such a beautiful, safe space. Very quickly, I became very comfortable and felt like I could just say anything. And your analogies and the way you helped me create a new sense of my story was, was super powerful. So thank you for that. Wonderful. 
I'm Dr. Jay Shrichander, creator of Naging Now, a podcast about prioritizing well-being, on the web at nagingnow.org. Naging Now is independent and entirely listener-supported. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give it a thumbs up, share it with your friends, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and donate generously. Your support is essential to keep Naging Now alive. Naging Now is written, recorded, edited, produced, and distributed by Dr. Jay Shrichander. Website by Takahiro Noguchi. Tabla and Mandira played by Jaisi. Compositions from Pandit Swapan Chaudhary. Bass guitar by Pedro Ordonez. Drum set by Jesse Garcia. Multi-instrumentalist Dave Rosenfeld. Concluding poem by Jaisi. You can find us on the web at nagingnow.org. N-E-I-J-I-N-G-N-O-W dot O-R-G.